What is the greatest need in your life? And if someone was able to bring a solution to your greatest need in your life, would you want it? Well, man, I'm excited as we continue our study through the book of Philippians. Today, we are kicking off a brand new series within that, se- that study of Philippians. We're calling, it, we're calling it Squad Goals. As we come to Philippians chapters 3 and 4, the remainder of our time in this book of Philippians, Paul is going to lay out some goals that we should embrace in the Christian life, some goals for us to pursue, some goals for us to achieve. Now, our theme verse for this series is found in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. And Paul writes this, he says, I pray Press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Today, we're going to study another prolific passage, a study in, in one of the most profound texts in all of Scripture. As we come to Philippians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 11, Paul has some, some very, very potent words for us when it comes to attaining this goal of righteousness. And so let's, let's look at it. I hope you have your Bible and some, maybe a notepad, some stuff to take notes on. Uh, this is going to be a little bit more of a technical type of message. So I think if you have your Bible handy, it will help you uh, to keep track where we are and where we're going. And so we're just going to start by reading this entire section of Scripture, Philippians chapter 1, uh, or, sorry, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Here we go. Here's what it says. It says, whatever happens, dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a true member of, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as to righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This is... God's word to us 
today. And so I hope you have your Bibles and keep track with us. As we begin, the first thing that Paul says, first thing he does to encourage the church, the goal that we set is found in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. And the first fill in the blank in your notes, if you're following along, is to make the choice to rejoice. Make the choice. Rejoice. Again, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Check this out. He says, he says whatever happens, like whatever happens, wherever, wherever things are going your way and things are great, wherever things are going the opposite of the way you think they should, whatever happens, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and it is a safeguard for your faith. It's very interesting, 16 times in these four short chapters, Paul would tell the church of Philippi, rejoice, find joy in this, walk from a posture of joy, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, here, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, 16 times. Why would he repeat himself so much? I think because Paul actually believes this. It's a safeguard for your faith. One way you safeguard your faith, one way you guard your heart is by making the choice to rejoice. Now, how can rejoicing be a safeguard for your faith? Well, a couple of things come to mind. The first is in Nehemiah 8.10, Nehemiah says this. He says, don't, don't grieve uh, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Listen, if you want to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, it requires, it, it demands you and I to make a choice to walk in joy, a choice to continually rejoice. Uh, Job, a man who lost everything, lost his wealth, his kids died, lost, lost everything that we would say is, is valuable in life. Job lost it. And now in Job 8.21, he says this, He will fill my mouth with laughter and my lips with shouts of joy. How could Job say that? Because while the world is falling around him, his world's falling apart all around him, Job knows this, God is still on the throne and God is doing a work in him. And in the Lord, there's always cause for rejoicing. We head back to Philippians chapter three. He says, whatever happens, even if you're in a situation like Job, where you lose your family, you lose your job, you lose everything that you've been building your life, even then rejoice. He says, I never get tired of telling you these things. It's a safeguard for you. It'll help guard, guard your heart. Listen, the enemy would love for you to become bitter. But the Bible says over and over again, rejoice. Over 150 times in the New Testament, the Bible says rejoice. Why is that so important? Because it's a safeguard for you. When you and I make the choice to rejoice, it protects us against attacks from the enemy. Look at this in Hebrews 12, 15. He says this, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and to cause trouble and defile many. Make sure that you don't have bitterness in your heart. Make sure there's no bitter root that grows up because it'll cause trouble for you. But not only will it cause trouble for you, you'll be used by the enemy to defile many. Because as you go around bitter, you go around murmuring, you go around complaining, it's gonna take other people sideways and your enemy 
loves that. But here's the deal. I've never seen somebody who makes a conscious choice to work at this, to strive for this, to be a person who makes the choice to rejoice, but still murmurs, still complains, still grumbles. It's like the opposite end of the spectrum. You just can't do it in the same breath. It guards your heart. It's a safeguard for you. It protects you against the attacks of the, it prevents a bitter root from taking, taking place in in your heart. I mean, we could go on and on about making the choice to rejoice as a safeguard for you, but, but it's important for us just to take hold of that. We need to move on to some other things, but, but, but I would say this, one, one of my previous pastors, um, Judd Wilhite, he'd always make this statement. And I know, I know making a choice to rejoice isn't, isn't an easy thing to do, but I think he simplified it and said it best. He said this, he said, if you want to change, if I want to change my choices, I need to change the voices. Listen, what voices are you listening to? If you, if you have bitterness, if you've been complaining, if things seem, seem sideways, and you're always talking about what's wrong rather than rejoicing in the Lord, listen, it's an opportunity for you to change the voices you're listening to. Ch- change your voices. Listen, focus on things that are right, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are admirable, things that are excellent, things that are worthy of praise. Paul says, think about those things. And as you, you think about those things, you surround yourself with people that speak life and aren't bitter, aren't, aren't speaking death. You change the voices and then you change your choices. Listen, amplify God's voice in your life. Make the choice to rejoice. The, the choices you make, the words you say reflect the voices you're listening to. Uh, rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard for, for you. Again, Paul says this in Philippians 3, verse 1, whatever happens, dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says this, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it as a safeguard for you. What are these things? I never get tired of telling you these things. What are these things he's, he's talking about here? Well, well, people think either one of two things. One, they think he's telling them to rejoice again. He's already told them that. He, he tells them that 15 times, 16 times actually in this one book. So that is a very strong possibility. Other scholars think he's setting up what he's about to teach them. He's about to teach them, how do, you, how do you gain right standing with God? How do you live a righteous life? Paul would say, I never get tired of talking to you about righteousness. I never get tired of talking to you about these things because it'll help guard your faith. You know, good pastoring isn't always about telling people new things. Paul knew that. He says, I, I'm going to say, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. Good, good pastoring is about helping people grasp spiritual principles and spiritual practices that shape our life. And that's what Paul is about to unpack here. Samuel Johnson said people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. And so the message today will be for some new instruction, uh, for others will be a fresh reminder, but for all of us is essential to our faith. It was Martin Luther who uh, would preach about justification by grace through faith. The, Martin Luther, this great reformer, he said this. He said, every week I preach justification by faith because my people need it every week. Every week they forget. Every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week we just forget it, don't we? And so we just need a reminder of some of these things. So what is Righteousness. Why do we need it? And how can you today 
right now know that you're standing in right standing with God, that before God, he views you as righteous. Well, three things I want to unpack. The first is this, righteousness is our greatest need. Our greatest need in life is righteousness. The one thing that will determine not only our posture in this life right here and now, but where we spend all of eternity is our right standing with God. It is righteousness. It is our greatest need. And here's why it's our greatest need. It's our greatest need because no one has it. In and of ourselves, no one is righteous. No one has right standing with God in and of themselves. Uh, Paul would write this to the Romans in chapter three and verse 10. He says, no, there's no one righteous, like not even one person. No one in and of themselves has right standing with God. He would write this in Romans 3, 23. All of us, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, of the glory of God. Righteousness is one of the most important concepts of the Bible. And so, so what is righteousness? Here it is. Uh, righteousness is simply put, right standing with God. Whenever you're living in righteousness, you're living in right standing with, with God. And it is our greatest need. Righteousness is actually a judicial term, a judicial term, a legal term. Biblically speaking, righteousness is the result that God, the just judge, renders over an individual's life. And when God renders a verdict of righteousness over an individual's life, he's saying that they are innocent, they are faultless, they are blameless, they are guiltless. When someone puts their faith in Christ, two miraculous supernatural things happen in that individual's life. Before the courts of heaven, two things happen. One, they are justified. When an individual, when you and I, we put our faith in Jesus, we say, God, here's my life. I give it to you. We surrender our life to him. We, we put our faith in Christ. In that moment, they're justified. It's a theological term with judicial implications. It means your sins, your mistakes, are gone, your condemnation removed. The Bible says this in Psalms 103, he has removed our sin. That's what separates us. That's what, what hinders us. That's what condemns us, our sin, our mistakes. He now, now being justified means he's removed our sins and transgressions as far as the East is from the West. Like that is justified. Romans 5, 9 says this, since we have been justified, We've been, a verdict's been rendered over our life. God has, has declared a verdict. We've been justified. How? By his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Justification, it takes place when you, you and I, we put our faith in Christ. Second thing that takes place in that moment is that whenever someone right now in this online service, at some point in your life or some point in your future, you put your faith in Christ, here's what happens. They are declared legally righteous by a just and merciful God. That means in that very moment, they're declared innocent, blameless, guiltless, faultless. I love that old hymn, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That takes place when we put our faith in Jesus. You might say, well, wait, on one hand, there's no one righteous, not even one. All of us have sinned. We fall short of God's standards. Then how can God be a just judge and all of a sudden, like, let people off the hook? Like, how's that, how's that possible? And that's actually a really, really good question. In order for God to be a just judge, he must punish sin. Like, sin must be punished. If 
someone committed a heinous crime against your family or against you. And that individual went before a judge and said, and the judge said, hey, you know what? What you did is worthy of death penalty. What you did is a serious crime. But because I'm so good, because I'm so great, I'll just let you go. I wouldn't be a good judge, would it? That wouldn't be a just judge. We would say, no, judge, like justice needs to be served. And God is a just judge. God will always judge sin. So how can God forgive you and me, even though we're guilty, even though we've, we've blown it royally, royally blown it? Listen, God, God loves you so much. God desires relationship with you to a degree that's beyond our, our human capacity to, to understand. He desires relationship with you so much. He wants you to be free of punishment that your sins deserve. That God, very God, steps in and takes action. He leaves the glory of heaven, became a man, came to earth. He never sinned. He lived a faultless life, a blameless life, never sinned. And then unjustly was crucified. In that moment of his execution, here's, here's the, the heart of Christianity. Here's the root of our faith. In that moment, God poured out his holy, righteous, eternal wrath that you deserve. He takes the penalty that you and I, I owe. He takes the, the punishment for your guilt and your shame and he places it on his son, Jesus, who never sinned. And in that moment, as Jesus is suffering on the cross, as he's, he's gasping for air with every, every breath, as he's nailed, as he's suffering. Why? Because your sin required it. My sin demands it. The, the punishment that brought us peace was laid on him. And by his wounds, by his sufferings, we are made whole. That's the heart of Christianity. God poured out his eternal righteous wrath on him, the one and only son for the sins you and I committed. Check this out. Second Corinthians 5, uh, 20 through 21. He says, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. How do we come back? What does that even look like? He says, check it out. Like this is news that's too great to, to really be able to communicate and articulate fully. He says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins, to pay the punishment for our sin. In that moment, God takes your guilt, your shame, your sin, and he laid it on him. And now Jesus, as he hangs on the cross, is an offering for our sin. He pays the fine for your, your sin. He, he, he takes the punishment so that we could be made right with God. How? Through Christ. That's the good news. That's cause for rejoice. God made Christ who never sinned to be our sin offering. And when you and I, we put our faith in Jesus, he now declares you innocent. He now declares you blameless. He now declares you faultless, not because you deserve it, but because Jesus has already paid your fine. Jesus has already paid the consequences, the penalty of your sin. Listen, the enemy wants you to wallow in shame and regret. Whenever you make a mistake, he wants you to feel like you're this small. He wants to keep you beat up and pushed down. 
Sometimes you just need to remind yourself. Sometimes you need to remind your adversary of your soul. No, my sin has already been dealt with. It's been nailed to the cross and I don't have to carry that burden anymore. You get back up, you rise up because of what Christ has done for you. Remind yourself of that reality often. Colossians 2.14 says this, he, he canceled the record of charges against us. Here's what you need to know. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you just need to know this. There is a record against you, a legal documentation of every sin you've ever committed before a holy and just judge. One day you'll give an account for your life and there'll be no more excuses for you. You might be able to like pull the wool over some other people's eyes. You might be able to fool some people around you. You might be able to fool your spouse, but you need to know this. The courts of heaven have a record. As followers of Christ, there was once a record over your life. And Paul says, can you believe this? Can you imagine this? The God of creation stepped out of eternity, came into time, he pays the penalty for your sin and mine, and in doing so, he canceled the record. He erased the documentation. He erased the ledger against you. He took away it. How did he do it? It was nailed to the cross. He takes your sin that you committed. He laid it on his son, Jesus. And in that moment of his execution, he executed the record against you. It's been nailed to the cross. There's a ledger though. And that's important for us to know. If you're a follower of Jesus, we rejoice today because the record's erased. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you need to know there's a document with your name on it and it has everything you've ever done. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 36. He says, I tell you the truth, on the day of judgment, men will give an account for every careless word they've ever spoken. Some of you, you had items added to your ledger today. Like, like every word, like for some of you that wraps around the earth 5,000 times, for other you, it's a mile long, but, but for all of us, there's a record. There's a document. Revelation 20, 12, John gets this vision of heaven, a vision of end times, a vision of, of judgment. And he says this, he says, I saw the dead, great and small, People of great pomp and circumstance, people of great wealth and the very poor, people great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open, the ledgers. Another book was open, which is the book of life, which is where your name, if you're a follower of Jesus, your name's written in the book of life. But the, 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 oh, there's other books there. It says, the dead were judged. What are they judged by? They're judged according to what they had done as was recorded in the books, everything you've done, every sin you've ever committed, every time you violated God's standard, every time you had a wrong thought, every time you said, did a wrong action, every time you, you said a wrong word, every, it's, it's documented. There's evidence. No one will be sentenced to hell and be shocked about it. The books will be open. Painful reminders of our past will be present. If you don't know Jesus, you'll pay the penalty for your sin. And God has done everything he can, so that will not be your reality. 
Somehow he's led you to this online service so you can hear something like this so that today you can turn to God. You can experience his forgiveness. You can experience his righteousness. You can have right standing with God. How? Because of everything Jesus did. But if you choose to pay your own fine, this will be your reality. There'll be documents. You'll have no excuses. There's record of it. Back to Colossians 2.14. But Paul, he knows this reality. He, he knows that righteousness is available. It's not contingent on what he's done or what he hasn't done. He, he finds joy here. He's able to rejoice in everything. No matter what happens, this anchor still holds. He's canceled the record of charges against us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. The greatest need that you and I have is righteousness. And righteousness is available, but it's available only through Christ. Secondly, righteousness is our greatest problem. Uh, righteousness is our greatest need, but second thing is righteousness is our greatest, it's our greatest problem. Most people fall in one of two areas. Uh, most people don't know what true righteousness is or how to get it. Or the second area is that they just think they're good enough. Uh, and many of us, we, we've had conversations, I've had conversations with people and, and inevitably like it'll come up like, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. And, and, uh, and they're like, oh, well, that's great. Well, I'm not a religious person. I'm like, well, I'm not a religious person either. Matter of fact, I think God hates religion. And uh, so I'm glad you're not a religious person because I'm not either. And they look at me like kind of puzzled. And that either leads to one, a really great conversation or two, like a lot of sympathy towards me because like, you're a pastor and you're not really, you're about to lose your job, bro. <laughs> um, but, but I don't think God's real big on, on religion either. But whenever I talk to people about things of faith and if it ever comes to the point where it's like, well, where, how do you think it's going to go for you? Like when you die, do you think you'll go to heaven? Inevitably the response is, yeah, I think I'll go to heaven because I'm a good person. And everyone has their own list of standards. And they'll begin to unpack like what their list is. Like, I think I'll go to heaven because I'm a hard worker. I think I'll, I'll go to heaven because, I, man, I, I do my best. I care for my family. I, I only sleep with people I really, I genuinely care about. And, and everyone has their list and everyone's list looks a little bit different. And the thing is that the apostle Paul had his list too, that he, he tried to fulfill. But he came to this place where he said, you know what? Like, it's not about, I can't achieve righteousness on my own. It is my greatest problem. And so, so I have to come to this place where I put my faith in something beyond myself to solve my greatest problem. Here's what Paul would say in Philippians chapter three and verse two. He says this, watch out for those dogs, uh, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Now in the ancient world, dogs are, are very different than what we view dogs as today. He's not talking about Toto. He's not talking about your furry family uh, animal that you get your family pictures taken with. That's not the image that Paul's going for here. In our, in our probably modern day context, we would say something more like hyenas, like they're scavengers, they're savage, they're, they're, they're kind of gnarly and, and mangy. Uh, that was dogs in the ancient world. As a matter of fact, in 2 Kings chapter 9, uh, this wicked queen Jezebel was thrown from the top of her palace onto the ground and dies. And it says dogs ate her. I mean, dogs are, are savages. They, Paul is not using gentle language here. Matter of fact, in this section of scripture, Paul uses very harsh, very graphic, sometimes crude language. But he's very passionate about this. He's saying, these dogs, these scavengers, they're telling you, you got to do this, then you got to do this, then you got to do this. And if you do that, then you can be saved. 
And Paul's like, that's, that's a false gospel. Listen, if people are telling you anything other than putting your faith in Jesus is means of requirement for your salvation, be very careful around those types of people. Paul says they're dogs. They're savages. He says, he says hey, you got you to gotta take note of them. He would write to the Romans in Romans 3.20. He says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Like whether you're circumcised, whatever part, part of the law it is, whatever outward expression, whatever, whatever, whatever you can do to earn right standing with God, like it's, it's not going to work. Like no one will be declared righteous for that. And so it is our greatest problem because no matter what we do, no matter how we strive to earn righteousness, there's, there's, there's no, no one can do that. Paul knows that. So he says like, hey, these dogs, they're, they're teaching you false, false doctrine. Philippians 3, 3 says this. He says, for, for we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. There's nothing I could do to earn it. We rely on Christ Jesus. We rely on what he's done for us. We put no confidence in achieving right standing with God. Philippians 3, uh, 3 through 8, it goes on to say this. For, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Paul says, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if anyone has reason to put confidence in his own efforts, I have even more. He's like, let me just tell you a little bit about my past. He, he gives us a little bit of his testimony. He's like, he goes, he's going to tell us how he strived to earn God's favor. And here's what he says. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. He's like, before I knew what the law was, I was keeping the law. On the eighth day, that's what the law requires. I did that. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one speaks of his pedigree. Like spiritually speaking, Paul is like, I'm a Kennedy. I'm a Rockefeller. Like my last name's Walton. Like spiritually speaking, he is on that, that level. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and was, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless compared with the in infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. He's saying, I've stopped trying to earn my way to God. I just, I, there's infinite value in knowing Christ, not just knowing who he is, but embracing what he's done. He says, says for his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ. This is an interesting word in, in the Greek. Uh, it's the Greek word skubalon. Scubalon. And, and you're, depending on what Bible translation you're reading, it's either garbage, it's, it's refuse, it's, it's trash, it's dung in some translations. Um, it, it's the literal translation here would be scubalon. The hu, literal translation is scub, human excrement. Like it's, he's saying, what, I was trying to do it, but 
I now consider it as human excrement. And I, I'm just flushing that stuff away. I'm not trying to earn right standing anymore. Check it out. Before Paul was a Christian, he believed that if he kept enough of the rules, if he was a good enough person, he could earn right standing with God. Paul believed that because of his actions, because of everything that he's just laid out, he's like, I thought I would go to heaven one day. But now I'm setting aside all my human effort. As a matter of fact, I consider it human excrement. It's garbage. It's, it's worthless to me for the sake of knowing Christ. Listen, righteousness is our greatest problem because Paul is saying his efforts to earn righteousness with God it was kind of like dung. It was like human excrement. Let me put it this way. Uh, on the day you stand before God and, and you, you, God said, hey, why, why should I let you into heaven? And if you say, because I'm a, I was a good person, like I, I went to church sometimes, like, man, sometimes I even gave my money. Like I tried to serve from time to time when I could. Like I, I, I was a good person. Like I, I did these things. That's like taking human excrement putting it in a box, working to wrap it in a beautiful bow. And, and, and when on the day of judgment, you stand before a holy and just God. And he's like, why should I let you into heaven? And you'd be like, because I got you a gift. And you're probably thinking, that's disgusting. And that's Paul's point. He's saying for us to try to earn right standing with God, it's like, it, it blows our mind. Like, why would we even try to, like, we, we can't do that. Like, like, it's beyond reach. He's saying, I, if anyone could, I could have, but, but even I couldn't. So now I consider it as garbage. I consider it as, as dung. Righteousness is our greatest problem because we can't earn it. Isaiah 64, 6. Uh, Isaiah writes this. He says, all of us are infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. This is very graphic language here. In the Hebrew, filthy rags, it literally translates to minstrel cloths. He's saying like, when we try to do our best, it's like, it's like the worst stuff that comes out of us. Paul's saying, I, I, I was trying to earn right standing with God. I was doing my best. But man, it was like human excrement. Isaiah says it's like, minstrel cloths, all to highlight this fact that righteousness is our greatest problem. Because on our best day, it's filthy rags. On our best day, it's worthless. And if, if Paul, by all accounts, who lived a very clean life, if it didn't work for him, what about us? What, what, what about you? I mean, what about those who don't have that pedigree Paul had? What about those who don't have the training Paul had? What about those who didn't follow the law like Paul did? What about us who've really blown it? Well, righteousness is our greatest need. Righteousness is our greatest problem. But the good news is righteousness is the greatest gift and it's available to you and me today. Paul would write this in Philippians 3, 8 through 9. He says, yes. Everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. 
Paul says, I'm setting aside my human effort to take hold of Christ, to become one with him. How do we receive that gift? How do we receive that gift that does require righteousness? He says this in verse nine, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. It's all right there. It all depends on faith. We don't become righteous by our own efforts. We become righteous by putting our faith in Jesus. And in that moment, just as God took your sin and laid it on Jesus on the cross, when you put your faith in Jesus, God takes Christ's righteousness, Christ's purity, Christ's faultlessness, and he places it on you. So that's why the Bible can say that now you stand before a holy God as righteous, blameless, pure, faultless. We stand before the throne. How? Through faith in Christ. It's not human effort. It all depends on faith. That's the gospel, friends. That's why we have hope. That's why we can rejoice in the midst of suffering. That's why we can, we can celebrate no matter what's happened in your life this week because God has given you the greatest gift any human has ever heard of. In closing, I want to talk to two groups of people. The first is those of you watching this online experience and, and you're followers of Jesus, but perhaps you've slipped back into trying to earn right standing with God. Maybe because you're just in awe of his grace and you're striving to like live the life he's called you to. And on one hand, that's a beautiful thing. But if for some reason you think whenever you fall, whenever you make mistakes, that God thinks less of you, that the enemy can now, now play with your mind and keep you beat up and on the ground, that's a wrong perspective of your relationship with God because your righteousness before God, your right standing with God never had anything to do with you never had anything to do with what you did or what you didn't do. It has everything to do with what Christ has done for you. So as a friendly reminder this week, your sins, your guilt, your shame, though they may be this morning, though they may be of last night, they have already been nailed to the cross and you don't have to carry that burden anymore. If you're a citizen of heaven, you're a son and daughter of God. And this is your friendly reminder that your heavenly father delights in you. Not because of what you've done, because you're his child. And may that bring you freedom to delight in him. Second group of people I want to talk to you this morning or today or whenever you're watching this is for those of you who are far from God, those of you who've, who've never had a relationship with Jesus, it takes faith, right? Like wherever you're sitting, if you're sitting in your car listening to this, or maybe you're sitting in your living room, it, wherever you're sitting, it took faith for you to sit in that seat. Like, like that seat might not have held you up. <laughs> that seat could have fallen to the ground. That seat might not have sustained you. And Paul says, well, the way that you engage in this relationship with Jesus is in the same way. It's through faith. But just as you are now taking an action step based on faith, the uncertainty of whether that chair will hold you or not, now you're finding rest in that action of faith. 
Same way Paul says, hey, if you want to you find freedom in Christ, you want to know, know what it feels like to have all your sins forgiven, you want to know what it feels like to know you can stand with confidence before the throne of God, faultless, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, what well, takes place, it all depends on faith. Faith in Christ. You say, well, what does that even look like? It simply means to have faith in Christ. It means to, that, that I believe what Christ did for me. I believe Jesus was a real dude. I believe he wasn't just a real dude. I believe he is God. I believe he lived a faultless life. I believe he, he died on the cross. And I just have faith. By faith, I believe in that moment as he is hanging on the cross, all my sin, my shame was placed on him. And just as his execution was excruciating and awful, I believe that's what sin requires. And I'm so grateful he took my punishment on the cross. And I have faith, I believe, that he didn't just end on the cross. Though his body was placed in a grave three days later, I believe he rose again. And I have faith to believe that because he's alive, he can come alive in me. That's putting your faith. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You just say, man, my whole hope depends on how Christ and I'm putting my faith there. Romans 10.9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess, believe, salvation. It can't be yours today. You're justified by grace through faith. And if anybody tells you anything less than that, that's not the gospel. You're justified by grace through faith. Today you can confess. Today you can believe. Today you can be saved. If you want to begin that journey with Jesus, you just need to know he doesn't want religion from you. He desires relationship with you. And that begins by talking to him. So if you want to connect with God, you want to begin that relationship with Jesus, it'd be my joy to lead you in that and talking to God. We call it prayer, but, but it's really just talking to God. And I'll, I'll help you with some words to begin that conversation. So if that's you, would you pray with me? Say something like this. Say, God, I realize I've blown it. I realize you require righteousness in your sight to have relationship. And I realize my sin has severed that. And so therefore my sin has separated me from you. But God, I believe that what took place on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty that my sin deserves. And God, I believe that because Jesus has paid my fine on the cross, I ask you to now give me the gift of your righteousness. Give me a fresh start and a new beginning. And God, because you did that for me, I just want you to know I'm giving my life to you. I'm so grateful for that. God, would you give me a fresh start and a new beginning today? Make me a different person. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, if that was your prayer today, that was your commitment to, to God, man, we're celebrating with you. I want you to know in this moment, man, miraculous things have happened. You're justified in the courts of heaven. You're declared legally righteous in the sight of God. That's a wonderful thing. Now you can have confidence knowing that before God, you're sinless, you're blameless, you're faultless, you're pure. And that means now you can have a relationship with God. And it'd be my joy to help connect you uh, with some resources. You can text me uh, at this number on the screen. That's 408-944-5402. Uh, I, I would love to just connect with you, hear some of your story, get to know you a little bit. Uh, the team and I have put together some resources that we think can, can help you on your spiritual journey. 
Uh, but anyway, we just love to hear from you. If you're in a different country or, uh, you know, long distance stuff doesn't apply, you can email us at uh, info at centralsj.org. We'd love to connect with you there. But once you know, man, we're celebrating big with you as you embark on this journey.